And welcome into the round table. Will Priestley here with you. And starting third quarter earnings call, CN and CSX both mentioned they wanted to see more collaboration against more, more, more class one railroads to get more market share from trucks. Joining us to talk about it is Harris Ligon, CEO of Telegraph, with us here. As, and uh, Harris, thanks so much for joining us for today's roundtable. Um, looking at this, it, it, the timing of this seems very interesting. Obviously, coming off of third quarter earnings, you have the opportunity to kind of say how things can be better. And both CN and CSX say collaboration is the possible answer. But also, they do it in the shadows of the SCB saying reciprocal switching is a good idea and kind of rolled out that idea. Um, related? What do you think? No, I, I think it's important to separate the, those two issues. I think one of the interesting things that we all got to see in the past couple of weeks with the earnings calls is that there are substantial revenue pressures on the class one carriers, and that is likely to continue for probably the next uh, 12 to 18 months. I think one, one of the interesting items that, that we heard, and I think CN was, was very explicit in, in saying that they effectively are going to conduct themselves as though they were, they were a single carrier, which is a, which is a great move. I, I think that's, a, that's, that's very empowering for how I think shippers can think about railroads going forward. The opportunity has always been there, but I think the challenge is, is that underlying the, the freight rail networks, if you really, really think about it, is they stop either at a border or a river or whatever they, or the natural crossing is from a physical and a digital standpoint. And so these partnerships represent an opportunity to continue to expand those kind of dots on the map strategy that I've talked about previously in order for them to be able to grow uh, share long term. So as you look at that, uh, obviously, it's, it's a bit of a tougher tougher deal to make, essentially, if you try to say, hey, everybody, let's just kind of work together a little bit, at least where we can. What do you think it would take for a collaborative environment to exist uh, between the class ones in this sort of collaborative effort, collaborative effort. Yeah, look, Bill, I, I think the the desire to, to to collaborate it has been there for for some time. I think the market need and really the pressures have not been as present as they are more recently. So if you think about it in a in an environment, and we're, we're going to see this play out in probably the next three to four earnings calls, you're going to have a basket of rail carriers that is electing to make some choices about layering in man or underlaying management, maybe moving some headcount around, maybe you know, moving away from having a cost structure that is less dependent on some folks in their organization. And then you've got another basket of rail carriers that has been very clean and, and has said, we are going to hold on to as many employees as, as we possibly can because we want to be ready for when that service recovery rebounds. The challenge is going to be is what does volume look like? And so if you are carrying a higher cost basis in a lower revenue environment, Railroads are going to have to be very thoughtful about how they're thinking about generating a higher revenue per unit as that potentially shakes out into the future. I think one of the one of the really really interesting things that we're starting to see is that some of those some of the carriers that publicly reported in the past couple of weeks have been actively playing in the intermodal space. They have tried to make intermodal much more competitive relative to those really bottom of the barrel truck rates that we're seeing, and that had a, an, an overall you know quarter over quarter and year over year impact on their on their quarterly earnings. Do you think this idea of collaboration would have happened had there not been more class ones out there? I mean, obviously, we're dealing with less than 10 at this particular point in time. So there's certainly reason to start to have some, some sort of negotiations. But if we were more diverse in our carriers, do you think this would still happen? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the idea that there's way too much consolidation in the freight rail network is, is one that I, I think is, is perennial. Like we're going to talk about this every year going forward. I think mm -hmm. the, the way that it's structured currently is really going to be probably one of the most um, 
ideal frameworks that we're going to possibly have. So if we so if we say that the supply of rail carriers is all of a sudden going to increase, we're going to basically drive up fragmentation on that side of the market. I think the challenge that comes that comes into that is, I mean, talking about the idea around collaboration. Boy, if we think that it's hard to have you know six class ones play very well together, how are we going to think about that if that expands all, all the way out to thirty? So we've got six hundred railroads, generally speaking, in North America today, and I think one of the things that I'm particularly excited about is that we're seeing the opportunity for those dots on a map strategies really kind of come together, recognizing that I think if we if we segment out the domestic market and the international market, we're seeing a ton of headwinds and low volume growth on the inter- international markets, especially when imports on the domestic side when we hit Think about nearshoring, boy, we're seeing a lot of strong growth, especially in LCL and domestic intermodal, which gives me the belief that there is an opportunity to continue that both that collaboration. That's also really good for the end consumer here in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Yeah, let's talk. <clears throat> excuse me. Let's talk about the, the the nearshoring aspect of this as well. When you're moving freight uh, out of Mexico or out of Canada, there as well. Um, looking at that, uh, of course, CN and CSX are, are the two people that have at least come out, or the two organizations, I should say, that have come out and said this is a good idea. Their networks don't really cross past that much in terms of the geographic framework of it. But are they? do they need players? Do they need everybody, someone else to come in as they start the ball rolling if this is going to work? And especially as you look at nearshoring, obviously you've seen a lot of effort go down in there uh, with CPKC going down there. And then of course, a CN and UP and one and I believe a, a Mexican carrier there as well, trying to turn to move in that direction as well. Look, I... I don't think you necessarily need another player. I think what we're seeing is in the very early innings of watching how not just two railroads potentially collaborate together, but we're seeing oftentimes three and in some cases four railroads collaborate together in order to, to create you know, and serve new markets, right? And so I think the CSX example is, is one that, that's really, really interesting because they're effectively funneling traffic out of the Southeast and finding a good pathway for that down into Mexico, which is actually gonna rely on the, the throughput of a partner short line as well, which typically does not happen. Typically you see class ones tying up with other class ones. So I think this is one of the more entrepreneurial spirit efforts that we've seen in recent times. I only expect that to continue because I think the railroads have, have finally figured out and finally have this growth initiative that is encouraging them to take a look corners of the closet where they normally would not do that. And I think we as a, as a North American economy are only going to benefit from that, mainly on reliability of service. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen more recently, Bill, is that as train speeds have, have stabilized, intermodal availabilities have, have stabilized. And I think LTL and domestic intermodal volume have somewhat responded back to that. I think domestic intermodal is now at a point of being in line with where it was back in 2021, at least over the past couple of weeks. And so I'm excited to see that if that if that actually continues through as we you know kind of encounter peak season. Coming back to uh, the uh, the nearshoring uh, uh, trends that we're seeing now, um, is that the region of the country or the region of the continent, if you will, uh, where this could be the most valuable asset in terms of trying to see more collaboration in moving goods out of Mexico into the United States? Um, is that going to be the most affluent, or is are there other areas of the country where you could see collaboration as being? Uh, a good thing in terms of how these how, how the railroads are, are collaborating with each other to try, again try and increase market share against trucks. Man, I, that's that's a good question. There, there's actually a graphic. I, I would love to if if we had had the time, I would love to to brought it up. There was a study conducted back I think in the early 2000s, 2001, around uh, you know kind of this forecast out to 2050, talking about the mega regions that were going to emerge across the United States. That 
that prediction has only come true. We've seen the Sun Belt really exposed. We've seen the front range in Denver really kind of expand. And so I think railroads will, will continue to look at population patterns as those change. We'll see more supply and demand moving across the border. Yes, south into Mexico. I think there are going to be some challenges there as well. I think there are some regulatory pressures around what do they really want to do about passenger rail? And I think that will be an interesting story to see how FXE and CPKC handle that south of the border because it's a predominantly single line service down there. So passenger rail is going to be a little added complexity. I think north of the border as well, you will see you know, in, implications around natural gas, grain harvest, and seeing those interplay where maybe as a shipper or maybe as, a, as, an, as an export receiver, Thinking about how you might be able to source from Saskatchewan or Alberta, as well as Iowa via kind of this interrelated partnership, that may also provide a really, really good access point for farmers and some of these major grain shippers to be able to reach some new markets, which I, I personally am really excited about as well. So we've talked about the positives of what could possibly happen. Obviously, collaboration right at the outset, when you're looking at it, think this is a good idea. We're working together. We're trying to improve rail stability and market share in the, in the economy. Uh, is this, looking at the flip side of it, is this a risk that could possibly backfire in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So so, there, so we're really kind of thinking about it, you know, is could this increased collaboration potentially backfire? Yeah, I, I think there, there are really two main risks that, are, that I see potentially coming out of this. Um, from a data standard, standardization standpoint, right, we don't see that fundamentally changing as we see the interconnectedness and the data sharing going back and, back and forth between the carriers. That creates a lot of friction, right? And so the, the ability uh, to see across multiple carriers is oftentimes really challenged because the data standards are not the same and those integrations, I think, are particularly messy. And then I think the, the second piece is, is that this increased collaboration, I think, Bill, to one of the points that you, earlier, you made earlier around the STB is you could argue on one hand, this is actually increasing uh, the overall competitiveness of the rail network. On the flip side of that, if one of these partnerships becomes too dominant or too strong, that will fall right into the argument of the Surface Transportation Board and at a broad level saying that rail may be a little bit uncompetitive in certain markets. I think the thing that we constantly have to go back to is what is the price to move one ton of goods across truck versus across rail? And I think that when I, when I think about it from a competitive standpoint, I think that math tends to always play out really well for, for a shipper. And I think that's one of the things that the industry needs to do a really good job of, of explaining and articulating and walking people through that on a day-to-day -day basis. So when you look at this in the final analysis, as we kind of see these, the seeds of being planted, you talk about the early innings of this uh, being, being enacted or at least be, starting to be talked about there for anyway. As this starts to grow, uh, what are you looking for in terms of how this could manifest itself? What are we seeing? Are we going to see the railroads start to talk more? Are we going to see announcements come out? What do, you, what do you think we're going to see from a public end in terms of how this could possibly manifest itself? I think there, there are a handful of different things that, that, that are going to come to market. I think we're, we're seeing the big push around consumer products, mainly moving in domestic intermodal boxes, moving across a couple of different points. And that's generally where a lot of the services have come out. What I'm really excited about is, uh, you know, Norfolk Southern did a really good job of kind of championing this initiative around a less than car load service, moving predominantly in boxcars, right, where you get, you know, you can effectively move four to five truckloads uh, equivalent worth of stuff in a rail car. And so when we think about that car load network being, uh, being better activated and having more dots on a map to serve, I think those will be the really interesting items. Can we potentially create a, you know, kind of a, 
an LCL service that is moving across borders and providing immense capacity? Because that's the one challenge that's going to be going forward, Bill. Is there too much capacity out there? Are there too many employees to really kind of carry that? And do the railroads ultimately pull back as a result of that? My sense is that if they continue to, to continue to talk to shippers and find competitive opportunities, they're going to be able to fill up as many ad sets as they possibly can. But now we're seeing the early innings of that. To the second point, yeah, I think this is the first wave of announcements that we're going to see. I think we're going to see many more partnerships evolve over the next 12 to 18 months. It'll be interesting to watch there as well. Harris, thanks so much for your insight. And as this is this is really going to be something. Again, we're down to, you know, as we said, last, less than 10 class ones. Who knows how things are going to play out from here if they start working together uh, to try and make some more money. Thanks, Bill. All right, we'll take a short break and come back and wrap up this edition of Fort Waves Now after this.